0: Welcome to a new series here on the Rachel Hollis Podcast all about women in business. This is a combination of listener questions, entrepreneurial women, women with a side hustle, women with a small business who want to know how to elevate, how to bring in more revenue, how to live a better life in more balance and with a more centered intentionality, as well as really inspiring interviews with real women who have built really big things, whether that is a billion dollar business or one of the biggest careers in marketing of anyone in the US. These are inspiring. These are real. These are conversations for women in business. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hi, Rachel. This is Maddie. I am just sitting here on October 13th, which is the International Day of Failure coming off of a work call where we had to share our biggest failures in life thus far. And as I was reflecting on my failures, I realized that my biggest failure is that I haven't failed enough. And I really started to reflect that that's probably because I'm not pushing myself enough outside of my comfort zone and trying things that are big enough that I am failing so I just need some help on figuring out how I can do the work to, to fail more um, and push myself more to, to do the hard things and dream bigger. So really looking for any recommendations, um, books, et cetera, of how to do this work. Thanks. Hey, Maddie. Thank you so much for your question. I freaking love this because I think I don't even – really think about it that much. Like, oh, I need to fail more or I need to fail bigger. And so I love this reminder for all of us, but for me too. And I just want to acknowledge you for even asking yourself that question. It's one of the most important things that any of us can figure out how to do in life is to ask better questions. And I think for anybody listening to this to ask, what have I failed at? Or am I failing enough? Or am I failing in big enough ways is really valuable. So I have all sorts of thoughts for you today. And as usual, I'm just going to kind of throw them out here in a jumble. But the first thing I thought of when you were talking about this, this idea of wanting to push yourself more, is to ask yourself, and this can be in conversation, this can be in your mind, this can be with someone that you really trust or in a group, like a brainstorming group, or you can do this in a journaling session, is to ask yourself, what scares you? I mean, that's kind of an interesting place to start. Instead of just going like, okay, what can I fail at in a bigger way? I think it's really wise to start with what is something, a project, an idea, a person that you want to be able to interact with, anything in life that when you think about it, it literally scares the crap out of you? I think of um, when I was growing up, I loved theater. I grew up doing uh like local theater in my hometown and I thought I was going to be an actress when I grew up and so I always used to watch this show called Inside the Actor Studio. I don't know if you ever saw that or heard of it, but it was like sort of classic for acting geeks and there was this really famous host named James Lipton and he would always ask famous actors the same question and or the same series of questions. And one of the things that he would ask everybody is how they picked the next role this is like talking to Meryl Streep or Patrick Stewart, just people who had been in the industry a really long time. And he would always ask, you know, how do you choose your next role? And almost to a person, every single one of them would respond by saying that they would choose the next role based on what scared them. When they read a script and they're instinct was like, holy shit, I have no idea how I can pull this off. I don't even know how I would do that, that those were the roles that they gravitated to. So the greatest actors in the world, the greatest artists would push themselves by not repeating what worked or repeating what had been a financial success for them, but by reaching for the thing that was really interesting, really compelling, and that they weren't totally sure if they could pull off. Now, It's probably pretty easy for you to figure out how pursuing something that scares you could end up in failure. But I think the important piece in that, if you make that choice, is that you're also choosing something, not just that scares you, but that really interests you, that you're like, dang, I have always wanted to try stand-up comedy or like I've secretly dreamed of learning to play the guitar or fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what it is, and it doesn't need to be something that is going to help you succeed in a financial endeavor or is going to help grow your business or your career or give you more status. It can just be something that you're not totally sure you can pull off, but dang, it would be cool if you could. So that's where I would start. I would start with what scares you. The second thing that I thought of for you, Maddie, was your creativity. Now, this is really on my brain this month because it has been our theme for last 90 days is all about this idea of creating your dream life or creating the vision that you see in your own mind. But I also think it's really powerful to ask how creative are you being? For a lot of people, they tell themselves a lie that they're not creative. They're like, oh, I'm just, my job's not really creative. I'm not really a creative person. I wish I was creative, but I'm not. I'm I'm just not. And that is just not true. Every single person in the universe has creativity inside them. A plumber is creative with figuring out how to solve the problem of a broken pipe, right? Like um, a coder is creative in figuring out how to string together new ideas and new functions to create the vision that they see in their head. And so what I would challenge you to do is to explore your creativity. I always think that when we allow ourselves to get creative, whether that's like literally coloring in an adult coloring book or trying to paint or trying to make music or whatever creativity sort of sparks inside of you, that always, always leads our mind to exploring bigger ideas. And bigger ideas are what is going to inspire a bigger opportunity to fail. So make sure that you're doing something regularly that sparks your creative instinct or that really gets your wheels spinning and makes you think of possibility and just use it as a practice to think bigger. Creativity really matters. So what scares you? How can you be more creative? And the last piece of advice I'd give you is to, you, you ask, like, what books can I read or what man, read the biographies of people who inspire you read biographies of people in your field or read books of people in your field or books of people who've done things that you would want to do. Go follow them on social media if it's someone that has a social media account, but to sort of fill your mind and your heart with people who are taking big chances. I just watched, oh my gosh, so good. I just watched 14 Peaks on Netflix, which was about this man who is a mountain climber and challenged himself to climb the 14 tallest peaks in the world in 7 months. And just to give you an example, the someone had done that before. Someone climbed the 14 tallest mountain peaks in the world and it took them six seven years. So this guy was like, how can I remember what's all about asking better questions? He was like, what would be necessary for me to do this in only seven months? It's a documentary on Netflix. It's crazy. It's wild. It's so inspiring. But I I have zero desire to climb a mountain. But I watched that and I was like, holy crap. Like this guy's climbing mountains in the snow. He's risking his life. He's doing these crazy feats. If he can do that, what am I capable of in my own life that I'm not even considering? Because I'm like, oh, I'm you know I'm human and I'm limited. And this guy's over here like, oh, I'm limited by nothing, right? So look to things like that that can inspire your own narrative shift. Uh, I think of. My friend Jesse Itzler, who's super inspiring, you should totally follow him on social, but Jesse's had insane success in business, and he now in his life has, he's like, not to be obnoxious, but he's made a crap ton of money, and so now, as much as he still does business and has entrepreneurial pursuits, a lot of what Jesse does now is like these crazy physical challenges, or he'll sort of come up with these wild ideas. Jesse and his friends are the people who founded 29029, which is uh, the climbing of the equivalent of Everest that I did a few years ago. But I remember it's got to be right before 2020. So let's say 2019. I remember that Jesse challenged himself to do this insane race thing that I don't even remember the name of where... Essentially, it's like last man standing. So Jesse did this crazy race where it was a certain amount of miles through a forest and you had an hour to do the run. And basically at the top of every hour, all of these runners would run through the forest and come back. And however much time you had until the next top of the hour was the time that you got to rest. But the whole thing was, it was last man standing. So you just do that over and over and over for days. It was like the craziest thing. And he documented the whole thing on social. And it was so amazing because you're essentially watching someone's body like break down. Like all of these people, yeah, we can all run miles, but at some point it becomes completely your mental state. And just watching him was so inspiring. Like at the end, he could barely move, literally could barely move. And he just kept going. And it was so inspiring to watch. And again, I remember thinking like, okay, that's not what I want to do. But watching this guy challenge himself in this way is so inspiring to me. So that's what I would recommend for you is to look to books, look to documentaries, look to people on the internet who are challenging themselves in ways that make you rethink what's possible. That's where I'd start. And I think that if you can explore those different avenues, you're going to be inspired. You're going to get an idea that makes you go, "Holy shit, I don't know. I mean, that would be amazing, but I don't know if I could do it." And that's where you'll find the possibility of failure. But what I have understood over time is that if I'm inspired and I work hard enough, it'll never be a failure. Because even if I don't get it the first time, I'm inspired enough to try again. And it won't be your list of failures, Maddie. It will be the journey that you're taking on the road to success. So I hope that you found that helpful. And I hope that you find all kinds of people to be inspired by, and it just so happens that I have a recent interview with someone that I think will be inspiring to you. Twila True came from really humble beginnings and has managed to build a career and then a business and now a life for herself that most women can't even imagine. So along the vein of being inspired by women who are doing really big things, I think you'll enjoy this conversation that I had with Twyla True. Twyla True is a lifelong member of the Oglala Lakota Sioux Tribe. She is a successful entrepreneur whose businesses total more than a billion dollars. With roots from the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, the poorest community in the U.S., Twyla overcame a challenging family upbringing to become a business powerhouse. From investing and incubating to owning and operating multi-million dollar companies in beauty, entertainment, fashion, food, and real estate— In addition to her businesses, Twyla's charitable ventures include an orphanage assistance foundation in China and a Native American personal development foundation here in the U.S. I'd love to just start with your story. You know, I got the incredible one sheet that your team sent over, and I'm looking at all of this information, I'm like... Holy crap. Like, how did this come to be? So will you tell us your story?
1: Yes. spent most of my time or my life in Southern California, El Monte High School. And I would say an averagely, now I say an averagely dysfunctional family because, you know, everybody says that something's dysfunctional. You know, it's averagely dysfunctional, so it's not a bad thing. So averagely dysfunctional and, you know, things to sort of navigate when I hit 18, normal stuff, right? So normal school, normal stuff. Everything's going along just fine. And I think the pivotal moment for me was you hit 18, and as a female, when you hit 18, you've got all the normal things to deal with when you're growing up. You want a doll. You you know you want um, when's your first kiss? Your high school boyfriend? You know all of this stuff. Then you sort of hit 18 and then now it's where are you and, and kind of that's the big fork in the road. What happens, I think, as for my experience, and I just like to speak to my experience and very honest about it. In my experience, that fork in the road is all of a sudden it's like, OK, I got to figure this out. Everybody has a different home circumstance. Either you've got family you can depend on, you've got a mentor, you got a friend, you got something, you've got finances or you don't. That's kind of the fork in the road as a female, if you have any of those other things, and usually you do in some way, your biggest choice is to like, you know, uh, either you go and figure it out or you hit your wagon to a guy. Yeah. yeah. Right. And when you hitch, I mean, at 18, you know, it's crazy to me is all of a sudden the glasses come off on your high school boyfriend and you're like, uh, Okay, so I'm supposed to hitch my wagon to a guy. Most guys are either, you know, they're 18 because you just got out of high school. They're 18, 19, 20. They're into cars, their hair, you know, <laughs> the latest, the the latest tour of whatever rock band is coming out, or there's other ones where they're not ready yet because maybe they're going to school and they're probably like super nerdy, super geeky. They're not away away ready to get away from mom yet. Yeah, you know, there's just. That option of you know hitching your your star to a wagon. So that's sort of what I think my incentive was was like, I don't think that's a great option. I, I gotta kind of figure this out. So then from there, um, you know, we talk about sometimes some actionable stuff. The for me, college or higher education wasn't an option just because the family finances weren't there. So for me, it was kind of like, okay, um, guy, no let's go. And I just need to figure out how to have some income. So motivation was just, it wasn't greatness. You know, it was really just like, uh, I don't want to go with the hair and car guy. Right.
0: (laughs) Right. So like, I'm going to need to make some money. I'm going to need a paycheck. I'm going to need, it just starts with that, with the finance.
1: Um, you know, in my journey as a female, it just starts with, I need to pay for myself or else the other, some of my other friends, what they chose was to, was to not, and, you know, go with the guy. So yeah, yeah, simply, I think for a lot of us, and I speak from a very female, you know, perspective, your, if your journey, you can go to higher education. I think that's fantastic because that's where you're going to learn more life experiences or knowledge or, you know, all of those things. If you can't, then it's super tough because now again, you're trying to choose the guy. So for me, I just went out and thought, okay, I have no idea, you know, no clue when you're coming right off of high school, there's, there's not a lot to do. So you just, for me at that time, you're just looking for jobs and you're looking at, you're looking for jobs. And then I think having no fear of taking a job, figuring it out, figuring it out quickly and taking everything as sort of an experience. So first job out was, you know, a hot dog stand. Yeah. Doesn't sound exciting. Doesn't, you know, sound fun. That was at 16. But when I got that first check, you know, and I can remember it, it was three weeks of work, you know, it was $300. It was like, all of a sudden my mind was blown because, you know, what it, what it meant to me. And it, then it kind of changes your, your persona, your groove, you know, your confidence, your, how you sort of think it's like, oh, okay job's not so great but this is pretty good. So this is kind of empowering and that's your first moment of sort of you know empowerment.
0: Yes. Um, yes. Is such,
1: empowerment is such an abused word sometimes but you know empowerment is really I think what it means to you and then once you have that empowerment how you empower others.
0: Yeah and honestly I love this conversation because it's a really similar I have a really similar story in that I had a home life that I wanted to get away from. And I understood that finances were how I did that. So when I moved out of my parents' home and at the time when I started getting jobs, I had just turned 18, I worked three jobs, like most people. And yeah, it was hard, but it was awesome. Because I I wasn't rich, I didn't have, I mean, I shopped for groceries at the 99 cent store and my big splurge was a a sandwich at Subway on Fridays when I got paid. But I was in control and I wasn't being forced to be in an environment that wasn't that was very unhealthy for me. And so it felt like, oh, my gosh, this is I don't know what this means, but I know that this is a step for me to be able to have autonomy over my own life.
1: Right. Yeah. So very similar stories. And then so you jump for me if if higher education would have been an option, I definitely would have done it. Cause it would have saved me some time in the middle and it, it just adds to your library. Life is nothing but a, nobody's smarter than anyone else. It really is. What kind of experiences well, from the get, where did you start? You know, it's, mm-hmm. people get to start at, and they have, you know, more, like we said, more finances, more help, more. And if you don't, you're, you don't have anything. You just have a, you just have a higher mountain to climb. But it's there. You just got to figure out a different way to get that knowledge. So on the job knowledge, I think, and for me, was incredible. So every single time I went to a position, the empowerment of that, of the finances, you know, gave me a little bit of more power and competence. Then I just kept going from there. So every single one, I just figured out, OK, great. What is this job? What is how do they make their money? and how do they pay me and so let's say first one was the hot dog stand and second one was um i did a hostess job and then i worked at a car dealership where you know you worked in customer service and every single one of those was really just an opportunity to figure out and understand different types of businesses and then from there i just re- really never got stuck you know i i observed it i learned i i think that one of the biggest things For females too, is sort of that we have a different, we have some positive skill sets that are unknown to others that you just learn how to apply. And then we have some setbacks that you have to, as a female, understand, okay, when I walk into a room, you know, as soon as I walk in, what's the position that I'm, what is my end goal first? My end goal is to learn. I need the paycheck. My end goal is to learn from this position is to add it to my library and my knowledge. That's my positive. Now my negative is how I'm going to be received from someone, read that person, read that room and never forget my objective. Like whatever it is I've got to do to sort of maneuver myself so that I'm walking out as the winner here with my objective. Yeah. You learn that as a female, you know, and sometimes it's, when we don't learn it early it's it's a harder road
0: absolutely and i think it's such an important reminder especially for listeners i mean honestly it applies to everybody but especially for listeners who are younger in their careers is to have an intention is yeah. to have an objective uh, you know there's a lot of ways to make a paycheck and uh, it, it sounds for you and for me the beginning of our career started You worked at a hot dog stand. I worked at a, uh, I made sub sandwiches at the (laughs) substation downtown, but I, and honestly, and I didn't have the wherewithal at the time because I was so young. I didn't understand what an intention was or, but as I got older, even if I couldn't put that language on it, I knew where I was trying to get to. And so I was looking for opportunities in the job that would give me the skill sets or the resources or the people to connect with that. It's like, if you're going to be a barista, if you're going to be a bartender, if you're going to work at a grocery store, that can be totally sucky, or it can be like, yeah, this sucks for now, but I know that's where I'm going. And if you have an objective in mind, I feel like you're going to move through that season so much faster than if you're like, I don't know, I'm just paying rent, man. Yeah,
1: exactly. Even taking it to that barista or working in a coffee shop all the way to bigger companies, If you just start off at one spot, you started. But now if it's a coffee shop in the corner, mom and pop, just have it in your mind, okay, I'm gonna learn this business and I'm gonna grow the ranks. Because if you can become from the dishwasher to the hostess to managing, you know, the late shift. doesn't matter if you can get to that point of you've worked every position quickly you know just do the dishwashing thing for a month then quickly go to the next one then go to the next one until on your resume and experience you were manager you doesn't you don't have to put it on there of the night shift you were the manager and that skill set doesn't change so that way your next resume for your next job it's a bigger shop or it's a bigger thing and you know you can now sort of start but when you are a manager of that first late night shift, it's all the same things, but just in a bigger way in bigger companies, you still have Absolutely. to manage one person. Did the inventory get here? What's the schedule look like? You know, I got to sell. Somebody comes in. I've got a service that we need sales for the end of the year. So now whether it was, you know, whether your shift made uh, $300 that night or, you know, millions, per day, week, month, whatever. It's all the same sort of thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's one of my biggest suggestions to people is just get in there, know that it's just a, a all the learning experience and you're going to take that to the next one.
0: And how did you go from working for other people to building your own Companies and investing, like how did that switch come to be? So, by 27, I was running my
1: first uh company. It was a computer circuit board company in Laverne, and I got there doing all those things that I talked about. was It was a five person company, a ten per. Every time, it almost doubled. Same jobs, same positions, and then I circled the uh, I circled all the titles. I, by the time I was at Cynthia Taylor, how did I get to running that business? I came in, I would say that for me, what worked for me is I went to night school and I under, I took accounting classes. And for me, when I understood, not because I wanted to become an accountant, I just wanted to understand where the money was. Yes. <laughs> and so once I understood where the money was, Then it was like, okay, now my objective is even clearer. Get it, got it. I get where the money is. Now, uh, when I worked for Synthane Taylor, I worked in all of these positions, operations. First, I started in accounting, then operations, and then sales. And then the GM position came up. And so since I had worked all of those positions, it was kind of sort of natural for me. Now, the experience is one thing. What I also learned is that if you are in a company and they just find that they almost can't live without you, you are the one. You got a sales problem; it's called Twilight. Yep. Got an operation issue. You know, we need Twilight. And so it was. It's almost a natural migration that if you put yourself in a position where they are, people can't be without you, you can't be without. And so that's, you know, sort of what happens now in my life and experience too, it's finances and independence was a motivation as a female. I always took note that I was too young. I, I was very proud of being a very girly girl and I had to control that. And I happened to be a minority. But I never walked in with any of those things. I never walked in that I'm a girl. I controlled my girly girlness.
0: So talk about that a little bit, about the environment that you're inside of. It it feels like this conversation that I've had with my kids before of going into a new school year, having a new teacher, and maybe this teacher is more strict, or maybe this teacher has rules that you don't really like. And my advice to them is always, you're in her domain. This is her classroom. This is her space. And so she has earned the right as the leader of this classroom to decide how those things function. And I think this happens in business as well, where we maybe we do have to tone down certain parts of our personality for as long as it takes for us to be able to be the one making the decision. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I came into this business as a like, for instance, as a speaker, I would show up you know, in high heels and wearing a suit and doing all this stuff, because that's what all the other female speakers were doing. And I had to do that for long enough until I was the one that got to make the decisions. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this in sneakers. Cause that's who I am. And I think I can offer as much value in sneakers as those women do in their heels. They feel great in those heels. I feel like I'm about to fall over and die. So what was it like for you to sort of change things or mute things until you could be in a position to go now I'm the boss I could do whatever I want
1: 100% right on with you and it, there is a sea of people there's a sea of positions and not everybody's going to get it i mean is life not fair absolutely you know, we women get called out on even more so than men. Yeah, get over it. Yeah, it's, it is it is the way it is. But once you know it and you know that game and you use that game to your advantage until you're at the position to as a female, you can say, you know, I don't care how you dress. I get you. I, I understand. Yeah. But as a female walking in, what I often say is what I learned is walking into a boardroom for me, it was interesting a guy can walk in how does everybody walk in a guy walks in and a girl walks in a guy we all have the same sort of you know we're at a certain credit amount a guy walks in and he gains credit and he gains credit because he can make an off color joke he can say foul words you know he's got this ha ha you know and he's he's loud and he's and what what was interesting to me is like wow he's gaining points and I early learned on, if I try that, not going to work. And so is it not fair? Yeah. But then I walk out and what do I do? You know, boo-hoo, cry at home. And it, I, I didn't get anything out of it. So at least now I understood the game. Let me play your game. And let me let me um, now be in, in the room. You know, half the struggle is just getting in the room. So now let right. me in the room. Now that I'm in the room, I don't want you to see, yeah, in my personal time, um, you know, I love shoes. I, you know, I love to change up my hair, all these things that are very feminine, but I don't want, I don't want that to be your takeaway from me. What I want is I want you to, to see, I want to walk in and I want you to see what most women possess naturally. And all of those things are shiny things that, that you get graded on that shouldn't even be in the room because that's, that's not you, the, the thing that we are. This is we're intelligent, we're articulate, we're graceful. And then when we are those things, what's crazy is actually then the guy starts losing points because you start to you start to see like, wow, he's too loud or he's, you know, uh, an off-color joke. Can you stop, you know, the foul words because we're uh, you're on task, you're dependable, you're all of those things are the things that we bring to the room. If we just allow those, if we just put those other things in a box for just a minute.
0: And so you got to this place where you're running, you've you've done all the different jobs, which I love. I completely agree. I think it's one of the best things is saying yes to new positions. Because Mm -hmm. if you have the vision of leadership, or if you have the vision of entrepreneurship, using the opportunity inside of someone else's company to navigate around and learn the different departments is like, the greatest gift. So what does it look like? You're running this company as GM to, I'm just trying to, to go back to this one sheet that I have that has all of these businesses that you're a partner in and investments and nonprofits, like how?
1: So Cynthia Taylor ran that 27 years old, 300 people. Great. Then I meet this guy, we get married, we go off to Asia and I live in Asia for 12 or 13 years. He had, whoa, wait, really? <laughs> where Where in Asia. So mostly Hong Kong, China, a little while in Shanghai, a little while in Thailand. Oh. So go over there. That sort of blows my mind, right? And if not, everybody can, can do all of these experiences and journeys. So sharing it is, is incredible because every single time what I found was discomfort Um, was good. It's a positive thing. Being a little bit scared all the time is good. I don't, you don't like it at the time, but whatever it is, your first, your next job, that interview, that first boardroom, you know, learning the next department, all of that discomfort, you're not going to like it, but it's, I promise it will be good for you. So jumping on a plane to Asia, I mean, hated the idea, you know, you're, the whole idea of the big world and and you know Americans and I uh the food's going to be weird and yet then what happens is I spend 12 years over there I didn't know if I'd come back because my mind was blown you know the world is if you live in one area you get one perception if you if you travel the state if you travel the US if you travel the world you know you're again it adds to that library so my perception my library um people opportunities only gets bigger. So we're running uh, some business over there that consumer goods, they sell, manufacture, and we sell over here to the US, every major retailer. So that's, you know, the condensed version. In that journey, what you find is like, okay, before I left, I was afraid of a boardroom in California, where I was the only female. All right. Oh, wow. That's like nothing that was that was nothing to be afraid of now you're in a different country can't speak the language different currency uh you know discomfort so anyway that was a fantastic experience and then you know came back in 2013 by that time we had created our wealth in these different businesses and then when you're that's what a family office does is manage its own private wealth and then now is managing your wealth you spend your life working. If you're lucky, you have something successful and you can provide for your family. If you're super lucky, you create wealth and now you need to manage that wealth. And so in managing that wealth, now you start to look at other investments or companies that you can now invest in and uh, grow your wealth by investing into those. So, you know, that's what we had, that's what we had done at that time. And that's kind of where I'm at now.
0: Yeah. So I, I'd love to know, cause I know you come from more humble beginnings and your family history is a more uh, humble beginning and you use the word wealth so casually, which I love uh, because I think I know so many women who really struggle with talking about finance, talking about money. There's a fear of it. It's wrong. It's evil. It's not something I should pursue. And also having come from very humble beginnings, I'm really proud of what I've been able to build because it's so different. My My grandparents were migrant farm workers. And so when I think of the life that I've built today, as opposed to, I was I literally was driving by a field of cotton the other day and I just thought, like I felt my grandma and grandpa with me, like, man, we've come a long way. And so how, was it an easy transition for you or was it Can you talk a little bit about the mindset of shifting from like where you grew up to now we're in this place where was it going to another country? Like what helped you to shift the mindset to to build wealth? So
1: a few things and then getting to build wealth. I think one thing I I wanted to add into there is a tough thing for women as we go through this journey is the timeout period. So during the timeout period, if you can travel that journey, however school, then you work different jobs and then you work different positions and then boom, what's the next big decision? Am I going to get married? Am I going to have kids? Now, if you get married and you have uh, kids, it doesn't matter where you're at in that you get timed out. Now you just, because he can't do it. You know, he can't carry, he can't bear. And you, when you look at your world of, of spectrum two and all the things we want to accomplish at all. We want to have a family. We want to be a good mother. We want to be good wives. We we also want the career, and we do want those things. The what's hard, and it's not unfair in the way that someone you know did this to us. It's just again, life. You get timed out. So typically, you're looking at that clock because the clock has such a bad word too. But we only have either you walk the you either you watch the clock or you don't, and then boom. you you don't get to have kids in in your lifetime. That's that's kind of rough where a guy until he's gone, you know, he can (laughs) be a child. (laughs) Right. Not fair. So you have the great timeout period usually happens in your thirties. You get married, you have the child. And then what happens? You go stagnant because you invest your time now in that child, which is what we want to do the guy that maybe you were on par with in that company he's going to work he's he's gaining the positions he's gaining the knowledge he's gaining the experience he's traveling you know, he's doing all these things so you time out so to make it even harder for you now what happens is now when you come back in he's there oh but guess what he's got a vp uh you know svp some sort of title and oh sorry you're you know manager of Well, okay, so pedal harder, you know, wish I had a, wish I had a, you know, a a magic pill or something. Don't you've got to, but we've got it in us, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got it in us. You come back in and you time in now, you know, for, for wealth, it, it, for me, wealth and what did it come from? It really was a, that was my career goal. Everybody has a goal on all your different buckets. For me, the win was the wealth part. So it wasn't, ah, uh, cause now to be honest, you know being able to, wealth has, makes life much easier. It's a lot more fun. Um, and I think when you come from humble beginnings, you, you almost have that in the back of your head where you hoard some things because you're so scared. You know, fear of not having it is a real thing because you experienced it and it's not fun.
0: That's so real because there isn't, (laughs) there was never a scarcity mindset around finances Mm -hmm. before I had any. Yeah. (laughs) I knew what it was like to be poor. I knew what it was like to work three jobs. The fear only came when I actually achieved a level of financial success that I was like, Oh my gosh. And now all these people are counting on me and my kids and yep. I, all of the thing. And then it's exactly that. you tend to hold very tightly because you're like, oh my gosh, it, I, what if I lose all of this now?
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah. you're proud of your beginnings. you wouldn't you wouldn't change it for anything, all of those things, but oh, it sure be nice not to slide back. Yeah. So I think that that's where that sort of, and once you have that independence, and again, that is a, a set of independence and confidence. Women, I find in general of all the beautiful things that we can do, finance and sales are two of the areas that uh, for the most part, we either have a fear, we have lack of experience. We didn't see someone in front of us do those things, you know, that for I'm a generation ahead of you, so you know. In my generation, the the when you looked at when I looked at my friends' parents, he you know, was graduated high school in '87. The Roaring '90s were, you know, um, a lot of fun. But you looked around you, and there was there was no mentor. There was no females. Not that there is today. There's no no one to look at to say she's CEO, she's these things. She doesn't do finance. And as a female. If you talk too much, not good, right? So you you had this this kind of fear around that, and in a sales position, you girls have to understand that it's not about talking too much; it's just being able to have a conversation, and you're not mm-hmm. trying to sell something. You're just got a knowledge base, and you're just increasing ex- people's experience or or knowledge about something. But women innately have a fear. Of talking about financing, finances, understanding finances, um, and holding sales positions, and why do, those are—it's terrible. Why is it terrible? Because if you can't talk or understand finance, it—that's a hurdle in uh, amassing wealth. The number one base in any business is sales. The highest-paid job, typically in any business, is sales. So, you know, and, another hurdle.
0: Yeah. And I love that you said too that, you know, if you can't talk about wealth, if you can't talk about finance, how are you supposed to do them? How are you supposed to uh, attract wealth? How are you supposed to build anything? Because I feel like if you're afraid to talk about it, it means you're actually afraid of it. Yes. And to me, that fear comes from not understanding. There's mm-hmm. so much confidence to be found in knowledge. That at first it seems like I don't, I'm bad at math or I don't know what this is. But really, there's a learning style for everybody. And if you can begin to understand either the financials of your business or your personal finances, the power and the confidence that gives you in yourself and your ability to make smart decisions is the most calming thing I can think of. Because I think a lot of people, when they're afraid of their money, they just don't look at it. And they hope that it, you know, that problem is going to go away or when the reality is if you're like, okay, this is where we're at, this is our debt, this is what we need to do, this is our income, these are our expenses, what are some decisions I can make now that I have this knowledge? So I love that you have devoted so much time to teaching on this subject and encouraging women into understanding their finances because it is the biggest, um, one of the biggest issues I mean, there's so much data on how many women sort of put their faith and their trust in their husband. Mm -hmm. And then the husband passes away and the wife shows up at, you know, the accountant and has no idea if she, you know, is 68 and now has to go get a job because there actually wasn't any money. And she thought she was taken care of for the rest of her life. So not to be so dramatic, but it is so important. This is a predominantly female audience to understand where the money is and what's going on. If someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, you guys, I get it. This is important. Where would you suggest that they start?
1: So I think where they start, first thing is we have a history of um, not understanding someone, not understanding, not not it being almost frowned upon to talk about it, to know about it, um, and don't ask questions, right? You have to know those things. You just have to put it on your on your list of these are this is something that i'm going to understand the next thing is our own headspace it's so once we get in our head that it's too much i can't understand it you know it's like you were saying it's math or you've already you've you're you've already you know told yourself you're not going to do it's not going to happen and i promise you it's actually once you we all do it we all do it we all kind of oh this is going to be a lot this is But then once you open it up and once you start to take a look, it's not that scary. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, what? This is it. This, This is the, you know, this is the whole magic of the thing. Oh, it's just as easy as revenue. It's just as easy as this is what the widget costs or, you know, this is the revenue. This is what it costs to run the thing or this is what it costs for the widget this is what it costs for expenses and this is how much money i have in the end when you break it out in simple terms and then start to grow your expansion from there it's so easy Mm -hmm. and so where do you start i mean you really just start by understanding your i think your own finances first and, and don't hide you just don't don't hide take a look at it and say, okay, where does the income from, where, how do I sustain myself today? Just that easy. And then from there saying, okay, now, if that's how I sustain myself, you know, what are the different ways that, how do businesses read income statements? And just that I don't have a degree in uh, accounting finance. I just took night classes. You can YouTube so much stuff now that, in a half hour. Yes. If you through an income statement, that's yes. all you need to know.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I love too when I look at your, your resume and the stuff that you're working on today, it reminds me of this idea that when women do well, they lift up whole communities uh, the what they're able to give back, what they're able to do for their family, for their friends, for the people around them. And I feel like Just at a glance, I'm seeing this in the work that you're doing with your nonprofit. And can you tell us a little bit about that and sort of more than one that you are involved in, but why that was on your heart? Because I also think that sometimes women have this fear that pursuing wealth is selfish. And every single woman that I know who has achieved a certain amount of success is constantly giving that back and the universe continues to like bring to them because they're constantly pushing it back out. So will you talk about your philanthropic
1: work? So my, sometimes with wealth, it the word um, can have a more, seems to be that if it comes out of a female's mouth, you know, is it, can it be not nice or it's, wealth is a sense of pride of accomplishment. You, you you did that, you, just knowing about it, understanding it. Now, like any word, it can be, if you you do it with dignity, with humility, you're not doing it as a class of person. You're doing it as just that you did this and you were able to achieve this objective. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a bad word. Again, as long as we, and we as women, I think that's what's beautiful about us is we occupy, we. We lead with grace and, and dignity and pride. Now, on philanthropy, what I would say is, it's so interesting that the you know the philanthropy world because and then the wealth world. The more wealth that you have, the smarter or the more that you can accomplish for yourself, and the more that you can be in a, a mentor for others. Um, the more philanthropy you can do the more good that you can do for others, the better example and leadership and, and skill sets that you can share for others. So it's, it's, I think that's my largest thing that sometimes I have a problem with it is women being, uh, proud of wealth, what they have accomplished and people understanding how then they can, you know, share the knowledge or philanthropy. So, um, That's how I feel on that subject.
0: Yeah. So when you started out, did it start out with you just donated to causes that you really cared about as opposed to, because I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have nonprofits that you built. Is that correct? Yes. So So, yeah, which is like massive.
1: Yeah. So nonprofit and good work in so many different ways. And I'll get to the one I have today, but I remember the first thing the first thing I ever worked for was in high school where I volunteered for uh, all girls orphanage and, you know, just help tutor them after school. That's philanthropy. You know, that's sharing knowledge. That's it's always been in my life. Uh, today, I have True Sue Hope, which I started. I support CASA, um, Girls Inc. It always seems to be, you know, things around, I would say, children, you know, women The biggest thing about it is, of course, we do philanthropy for the philanthropy's sake, whatever it affects that I always learn a lot. You're around typically other people that can also, you know, also have that mindset. So I think it's very healthy. Typically, as you succeed, philanthropy keeps you straight on humility, on, um, you know, where you came from, where this all, you know, sort of started. And uh, the last thing on on philanthropy, I think, is I believe and I don't know, whatever you want to call it, yin and yang energy, what what you give, you know, comes back. Uh, It's it's always been there for me. So Mm -hmm. if I do these things with humility, don't ask for credit. Don't ask for a pat on the back. Simply do it. Um, I've actually tried to practice the exercise of where I do it. I do some sort of philanthropy or good for somebody, or, and never get credit for it. That's a hard thing to do because sometimes it's your, you know, if you're doing it for your ego or the pat on the back or you know the magazine cover. Where, but if to practice doing it all for the glory and benefit of someone else and never getting the pat on the back—that's a—it's a good thing to learn.
0: I love that idea, and I love the reminder. Philanthropy is it, it can start at any age mm-hmm. and is something that you can do with any resource. It's a giving of time, it's a giving of energy, it's a sharing of knowledge, it's showing up for other people. And sh- like, I feel like sometimes those acts that seem sort of small are the ones that are most impactful. Like, and on both sides, not just on the, on the receiver, but also on your heart. I think that when we're able to do things with our hands, when we actually show up and physically do things, that that ends up touching our heart in such a unique way.
1: Yeah, because We pay so much attention today. I think, especially with social media and all that, you know, there's so much on how other people grade your paper and right. there's so much noise out there on that, right? And it. It is, it is so harsh and can be so harsh and I don't look at it. I don't care about it. What do I care about? I care that, you know, in the morning when I look in the mirror, how do, how do I feel about you? How how do we feel about each other, you know, in the reflection of that mirror? And I can, I can smile and I can hold pride and I did something and it just, it just has that energy. When you walk into that job, it carries that energy into that boardroom. You walk in because you yourself are good with you. Yeah. And I promise you that it carries. I promise you that maybe you didn't have to walk in and say, you know, I did this and you know what I did for this person. You don't have to say that. I promise you that, that, that energy inside of you will carry and you will get some sort of payback, acknowledgement, or somebody is going to do something for you. Um, And that's, that's kind of how it works.
0: Yeah. So cool. Twyla, if people are listening and they want to learn more about you, about your organizations, your businesses, they want to learn more from you, like tell us all the information, where can we find you online? Where can we learn more? How can we get involved? Give us all the details. True Family
1: Enterprises is the name of my website. Uh, True Sue Hope is the philanthropy that I started. Again, I I love CASA. I love uh, Girls Inc. But on that website, there's lots of different companies um, from entertainment to consumer goods to uh, boring real estate, lots of things. So uh, that's where they can find me.
0: Very cool. Thank you so much for the time and for sharing wisdom with us today and inspiring us and all of it. I know the audience is really going to love this conversation. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this new series of Women in Business. And I hope that you'll consider calling into the hotline and asking your own business questions or your own goal-oriented questions or anything that you think would help you or help the other listeners of this podcast. You can find the number to the hotline in the show notes below. And if you found this episode helpful, as always, I would so appreciate if you would consider sharing with someone who you think would benefit from listening to. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Rachel Hollis. The show is produced by Sterling Coates and edited by Andrew Weller.